Welcome to Hub City Homers. This is now episode six. It's been a little since we recorded. Um, we had a little bit of a hiatus there due to some bad timing and some bad scheduling. Um, we have the full team together, which is nice. It's been a, it's been a hot second since everyone's had a chance to come on and talk. Um, we have a very busy show. I mean, we met, for reference, we had a plan ready. We had a nice, tidy layout. We had times. We had the whole thing starting to feel like a professional uh, layout for a show. And then the realignment rumors dropped a couple hours ago, and we had to basically throw that away and do the best we can to, to get it all in. So what was not going to be a particularly jammed-packed show suddenly became one. We did have a lot to get to originally, and now we're stuffed. So we're going to try to get this in all in one hour, um, but we may go a little bit over this time just because we got a lot to get to. We're going to start with Jack. He's going to lead us with baseball. Then we're going to open it up for realignment, which is the topic of the day. What do we think about Texas and OU leaving in general? Where could Tech go? Do we think it's likely? What does this mean for the larger sporting world, college sporting world? And then we'll close out with basketball roster talk, heading into some look at the football. I'm not sure how much time we're going to have left here at the end um, after realignment. Depends how long that runs. But we're definitely going to at least talk about the most recent basketball roster transfer moves and hopefully at least one of the units for football, offense, or defense. If we can get them both in, that's even better. So it's a very busy show. So without further ado, I'm going to throw this over to Jack. Jack. Walk us through where are we at after the draft and now that transfer season is basically finished for baseball. Well, Tech was busy during the first couple days of the draft. Um, they had nine players drafted from the roster, which tied them for second in the country. Uh, I believe UCLA was first with 11, and Tech and Florida tied for second with nine, I believe was the final count. I got a list that I'm going to run through real quick, and uh, I'm going to include at the end some of the Texas Tech commits that were drafted, and uh, the ones that I'm included have already signed to go to the majors, so they will never step foot on uh, campus here in Lubbock. Um, Cal Conley, Drew Baker, Braxton Fulford, Mason Montgomery, Ryan Sublet, Hunter Dobbins, Patrick Monteverde, Brandon Birdsell, Dylan Noisy, and Jacob Brustowski have all uh, – well, Brustowski was not drafted. He signed a free agent deal, but the rest of that crew was drafted. Um, it's a really good showing for Tech. It shows recruits that, you know, uh, if you want to come to Lubbock, you will get the proper coaching that you need to make that next step in your career move uh, to the draft. Uh, Tech had – a couple of recruits drafted as well. Uh, Cam Cauley, who was a shortstop, and A.J. Smith Shaver, who is a right-handed pitcher. Uh, Cam Cauley signed, I believe, yesterday morning as we're recording this on the 21st. Uh, I know Smith Shaver signed either yesterday or this morning uh, as well. The only person out of this list that I've gone over that I know for sure is staying at this point is Brandon Birdsell. Uh, he is for sure staying. Uh, and the only person that we haven't heard from to get a confirmation so far is Mason Montgomery. Uh, the like I said, the rest of this list is gone. To say that I'm shocked 
would be an understatement, if you want me to be honest about it. Uh, I really didn't think Dylan Noisy would leave after playing a quarter of a year. I, I didn't think Hunter Dobbins would leave after not playing at all. I also didn't think that Brustowski would leave on a free agent deal uh, after not playing at all this year either. Uh, those those definitely caught me off guard for sure, especially with Noisy being drafted in the 17th round. You figure that someone like that could stay in Lubbock and play again next year and uh, up his draft stock significantly. But, you know, um, I'm not going to rag on any of these guys for chasing their dream and, you know, straight up getting paid, which is what it's about now. Uh, since the draft, there have been three people that have committed to Tech uh, that I'm going to mention. Uh, Tate Yardley, Trendon Parrish, and Ryan Brome. Uh, Tate Yardley's from Jim Ned. He had a one flat ERA over 63 innings pitched last year in high school with 112 strikeouts. Trendon Parrish has a .72 ERA for Southwest Christian High with 175 strikeouts this past high school season. And Ryan Brome from Katy High School, he hit 434 with six home runs and 34 RBIs this past season for Katy. So Tim Tadlock has always been one that looks to high school first before he looks to the transfer portal. Uh, you know, we do have Ty Coleman coming in from Texas A&M that should bolster that infield pretty well. But, uh, you know, I, like I said earlier, I am, I am a little shocked at some of the people that have left. I'm not really surprised that, uh, Cal and Drew and Braxton are gone. Uh, not really shocked at sublet either. Uh, Pat Monteverdi was a senior. Uh, again, like I said, Brustowski, Noisy and Dobbins were really the ones that uh, caught me off guard. And, you know, all the, all the greatest of luck to all of these guys that are pursuing their dream in the minors and hopefully the majors one day. Uh, there are never too many Red Raiders in the majors. So uh, I'll throw it back to you, Mike, and uh, we'll get going from here. <clears throat> Sounds like we're going to have a pretty – I don't know. I, I hope we're, we're, we're in the conversation. I trust Tadlock to make the most out of his roster. Um, transfer situation in baseball is not quite as well as football and basketball, but you are seeing some of the impact of all this stuff happening there. Um, but we are going to move into realignment just because it is the biggest news of the day as of the 21st, like Jack mentioned, is when we're recording this. We'll probably release this episode a few days from now once it's all edited up. Um but with the major topic, for those of you who have somehow missed everything or have been living under a rock, the major topic going on right now is the rumor, and it is in fact a rumor as much as the Houston Chronicle is reporting it, we have essentially a couple of sources speculating to the same thing, which is that OU and Texas have started the process of taking a look at the SEC as a potential home. Now, there are two things about this that I have not yet seen Um really clarified and that's number one do they mean that this is going to be done like next year because the uh big 12 is locked in through i believe 2023 2024 and i'm not certain how texas or oklahoma could get out of that arrangement early but i don't know if that's been clarified yet and the second thing i'm still i'm still looking to see clarification on is uh you know with this is this going to be a move that you know, forces the Big 12 to finally expand entirely. 
You know, there's a lot of rumors about what the other conferences are going to are going to do, but I haven't actually seen anything a lot about what the Big 12's doomsday scenario for this is. So those are things to keep an eye out for in the coming days about as that starts to leak. Um, I think uh, actually a couple minutes ago, Stadium is reporting, uh, Brett McMurphy is reporting that UT is planning to notify the Big 12 that they're not going to extend the uh, the the current Big 12 grant of rights. So regardless of this specific movement it looks like the big 12 is rapidly drawing to a close in its current form Um, but we've heard this all before this comes up all the time in fact basically once a year we hear about realignment and despite the big 12's pretty solid success in all major sports and high revenue the problem's always been that texas and oklahoma have always felt like they're a bit better than the conference in particular the school in Austin has had a really hard time watching A&M and the SEC and not feeling like it got left with a bad break. So before I give my kind of opinion on where we are, I'm going to throw it over to Kendall with his takes. Kendall, first and foremost, I mean, what what's your first reaction thinking about a world in which the SEC takes Texas and Oklahoma? Well, just looking at those two schools, and Texas just hired one of the best basketball coaches in the country, and they're looking at moving to the SEC where after focusing a little more on basketball, it almost seems like they're moving to a much worse basketball conference. And then OU leaving the Big 12 doesn't make that much sense to me because right now in football, which is their biggest revenue draw, they are at the top of the conference year in and year out. And now you move over to the SEC where you have the Alabamas, the Georgias, the LSUs, where you would probably be a much less relevant team year in and year out. I just, on both sides, I wouldn't necessarily understand why they would push for a move to the SEC over maybe just trying to fight for an expansion in the Big 12. What I think is interesting about the Big 12 electing not to expand originally was this was the most obvious consequence of the decision of not getting back to at least 12 teams. And much more likely when we were doing this the first time, like what was it, two or three years ago, why they didn't go to 14 teams. Um, And the the consequences is that Texas and Oklahoma see more money elsewhere. Yes, I understand the Oklahoma schools didn't necessarily want to have to go recruit against U of H and SMU, and, and nobody wanted to let some of the better AAC teams in in order to round up the conference's overall strength and sacrificing some of the recruiting benefit they currently share. And then there's discussions about what do those guys bring to the table? All, all that I understand, but the obvious consequence of choosing not to expand the current big 12 was that it was never going to be big enough for Texas and Oklahoma um, for, especially for Oklahoma, you know, as much as Texas has all the money and all the name and the brand, they haven't actually won anything in years. The actual relevant sporting program the Big 12 is losing is OU. Yes, Texas dominates the Olympic-level sports. But I, I don't mean to be mean to Olympic swimmers, but if you're not literally going for gold in Tokyo, I don't care. So, you know, I care that we're going to lose the best football team the conference has got, one of the better basketball teams, and a middle-tier baseball team. You know, if you look at Texas, Texas's sports are all still potential. They're the shoulda, coulda, woulda of college sports. No reason they're as bad as they are at some of these sports. It looks like they might turn a corner, but we don't know. I'm worried that we are losing the actual blue blood in the conference, which is Oklahoma. You know, that, it, it, 
it's concerning that this was such a predictable outcome and the Big 12 seemed so unwilling to do anything to prevent it. Um, maybe there couldn't be anything to be done. If Texas was always going to act like this, maybe there couldn't do anything. Couldn't be anything they could do in the first place. But when you look at realignment as a, as a whole, um, with Texas and OU eyeing the SEC, what becomes very interesting is what major conferences are you know going to want to be in the alignment business, the realignment business? You know, does the PAC actually think that it's viable to expand into Texas? Um, does the ACC decide to pick up West Virginia and somebody else along with it to kind of round out their roster and build up their sporting programs? Because the ACC is terrible outside of basketball and Clemson um, football. Uh, or or it, does the Big Ten see anybody left that's viable from the Big 12 to pick out? The Big Ten's interesting because it's always had a much more academic orientated mindset compared to the other conferences. That's one of the reasons why Oklahoma was always a school they were looking at is because of the high academic value. Um, there's also just general questions about, you know, if you're the Texas private schools, Baylor and TCU, in particular Baylor, who I think is going to be absolutely left out in the cold when this is all said and done. You know, what do you do now? How many places are going to take two Texas private schools? Um, and that's I'll open it up to Reed on that point first. Reed, if you're looking across the landscape, you know, what's your dream destination for tech? And what do you think is the most likely destination for tech in a world where the Big 12 is 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 finished? Yeah, you know, it's kind of happened really quickly. It's out of nowhere. Um, and I know if in, in years past they've talked about uh, there being realignment, add some teams to the Big 12. Uh, and I think that would be big. Like I've wanted, you know, Boise State. Uh, if you could ever get Notre Dame from being a, an independent to come to the Big Twelve, something like that, that would help keep the teams, you know, situated where they're at, and not have your your two blue blood programs, uh, Oklahoma and Texas, looking to get out. Um, in terms of tech, you know, I really I like the Big Twelve for tech across the board. Uh, we're, we're in a good mix and a good balance with the teams that we have in the, in the conference. If we go to the PAC 12, we're going to be watching football kickoffs at nine 30 Texas time. Um, I wouldn't say that's necessarily ideal. We'd be traveling nonstop going to the West coast, uh, for all sports. And, you know, if we have basketball, say you play Oregon one time and then you got to go down and play Washington within the next seven to 10 days, that's not going to be something you want your basketball team doing year round um, or, you know, even baseball, something like that, where they're having to stay multiple days in a row in different places that are thousands of miles away from Lubbock. It's just going to take a toll on your team and your coaching staff at some point. Um, you know, geographically, it's hard for us to fit in really like anywhere else, in my opinion, uh, within the power. I mean, within the big, the big uh, power five conferences, ACC, it's all East Coast. SEC is not going to let us in, whether we want to go there or not. Don't think I'd want to go there anyway. Um, but, yeah, I think it would be interesting to see how we would even try and stay in the Power Five to begin with. Um, I know our, our programs have been good lately, but in terms, of, in terms of history and the amount of revenue we bring in, we don't stack up well trying to get into a Power Five. Um, that would – take us this far away from, you know, all the, where all the rest of their teams are at geographically. Um, I think the most likely 
the most likely standpoint or uh, place that we'd be standpoint wise would would have to be the back the Pac-12, whether I like that or not. But um, at the end of the day, I, I would think I would rather just have the Big 12 stay together if that's even an option at this point. I mean, what's there is a sense amongst at least from tech fans that I, I see since I do most of the tweeting for Viva Me and Zach split that up. But since I've been doing most of it tonight, I should say, as this is happening, um, I saw there is some real anxiety that I've seen amongst tech fans that we don't land in another Power 5 conference. If the, if, if the wheels are falling off the bus right now and we're crashing to the ground, there is a sense that tech's going with it. Um, and I don't think that scenario is likely in the sense that and for that to happen to me, for that, that specific doomsday scenario to happen, it would mean that the Pac-12, the Big Ten, both are out of the realignment game. The ACC is either out of the realignment game or only wants to take like West Virginia, who always should have been in the game. Or, or alternatively, the Big Ten's only interested in the true northern schools, like Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State, who aren't technically northern, but they're part of that farm country kind of area the Big Ten's thrived in. You know, if that if that's all the Big Ten's looking at, and the Pac-12 is not interested in the Big 12 schools, or isn't interested in the alignment at all, realignment at all, which is all, far more likely than the Pac-12 going another route with the, with the realignment. I've heard some rumors about UH and SMU. I don't. I don't. It's far more likely the Pac-12 could potentially say we're just not going to expand. We don't want to mess with it. And the ACC probably isn't looking much at Big 12 schools outside of West Virginia, who honestly should have ended up there the first time. If, if we're being truthful, to go play schools like Pitt, you know, that that's a very natural geographic match and rivalry match that they could have fallen into. Um, so in that world, the AAC is the most likely destination for the best of the Big 12. Um, that's just where it is. Um, you're not going to see if all these schools are staying out of it, then the programs that are going to get taken by the AAC or anybody's guess. That all remains to be seen. There's a lot that is going to be discussed and conjectured about. But, Jack, from a unique perspective from you, um, you know, the SEC is, I guess, considered and usually is the best conference in baseball. They're going to pick up Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, You know, from a baseball perspective, would it be better for Tech to remain in either some sort of expanded Big 12 or go try to test its luck? and one of the other conferences, just from the pure baseball perspective. From a pure baseball perspective, I don't want anything to do with the SEC. I don't want it near me at all, period. The SEC is – you think the SEC is good at football? They're better at baseball than they are at football. I promise you that. You have teams – the thing is, in football, think about what a Vanderbilt is to the SEC in football. They're 0-12, 1-11 every year. That's the same Vanderbilt that is has been consistently in the College World Series every year. Florida is great at baseball. Auburn and Alabama are on the rise. Georgia's good at baseball. Tennessee has was in the top 10 for most of the year this year. South Carolina was ranked primarily for most of the year. Then you have teams like AM who just got Schlossnagel from TCU. You have teams like LSU who have are is a college baseball royalty. 
Arkansas, who was number one for 85% of this year. Ole Miss, who has, you know, is also college baseball royalty. And then, uh, you know, you have Missouri, who's kind of middle of the road. And the one team that I forgot to mention uh, just so happened to win the national championship, uh, which would be Mississippi State. So, like I said, I don't want anything to do with the SEC when it comes. Think about that conference schedule. That would be just absolute hell. And then you throw, I'll be honest, Texas is on the rise. They won a Big 12 championship this year. So it'd be, I mean, it'd be dumb not to mention them too. You you have a conference schedule where you're playing, I mean, obviously you wouldn't play them all at, like throughout the season, but you're talking about uh, a conference schedule where you're playing Texas, Texas A&M, LSU, Arkansas, Ole Miss, Mississippi State every <laughs> like like weekend after e- weekend after weekend, you know? Absolutely not. Uh, I like Tech in the Big 12. I really do. Um, you know, I've seen a couple of scenarios thrown around uh, with Tech going to the Pac-12 out there, but uh, expanding it to 16 teams that I didn't really think was that bad of an option. I think I saw a tweet that said, uh, you know, expand the if they are in the realignment game and the expansion game, uh, expand it to 16 teams and uh, the East have a pack 16 East and a pack 16 West. Your Western division would be pretty much all the teams that are there now, uh, minus Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Arizona State. And then you add TCU, Tech, Baylor, and Oklahoma State. I don't see from the Baylor perspective, I don't see Baylor getting shut out in the cold. And it's really, truly only because they won the national championship in basketball this past year. I just don't see how a, you know, a national championship winning team can be shut out. Granted, Gonzaga is predominantly the college basketball power right now. And they're in the West coast conference. But like I said, you know, they play Pepperdine and San Diego University. So they play teams that are pushovers, but they're still good. They still go deep in the tournament every year, you know, at least Sweet 16, Elite 8. But I like, I I don't mind the playing in the Pac-12 East, uh, you know, against TCU, Baylor, Oklahoma State. Those are teams you know. Uh, Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Arizona State. I don't hate that for Tech for any sport really i think basketball you could keep up in that i mean it'd be a tough little division but it would be it'd be good content good games uh football i think you could i mean easily take baylor tcu i don't know enough about those four pac-12 schools uh arizona arizona state utah and colorado um you know who knows? I feel like we have this conversation once a year or once every two years anyway. Uh, I really off the bat don't see Texas getting in to the SEC. Uh, you know A&M's going to – because they have to have 75% of their uh, teams vote yes. A&M's a no. Arkansas will be a no. Missouri will be a definite no. So that's three. You, if one more team says no out of any of them after those three, then it's a done deal. Then it doesn't matter anyway. So I really don't see how Texas will get in. Uh, 
I could see them taking Oklahoma. It'd kind of throw it off a little bit uh, numbers-wise, I guess. But I could see them taking Oklahoma. And I agree with you, uh, Mike, about uh, Texas probably becoming an independent like Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame's a huge brand, and it'd be ignorant to say Texas isn't a huge brand. They might not have the results in the recent years to back it up, but it's a huge brand. It's one of the top-ranking money makers in athletic departments every year, and uh, and revenue-wise, and their budget is in the $200 million range, in between $150 and $200 million every year. Uh, I, to put that in perspective, I believe tech is a right around 93 to 95. Um, so, you know, this is a whole big thing that we, I feel like, again, I'll say, I feel like we have this conversation every two years at this point. Um, but from a baseball standpoint, I don't want anything to do with the sec at all. Even if they'd have us, I don't want anything to do with that period. And I'm kind of going to piggyback off of Jack here, talking about just the uh, pack in general. If, As a Tech fan, I'm looking at the Pac-12 right now, and if we were the only team to be added, I can't imagine us as a basketball program where we're at now. I feel like I can look at that pr- conference and say that Tech, the way we've been going the past couple of years, we are consistently a top three team in the pack each of these last three years. Because at the top of the pack the past couple of years, there hasn't been a cons- consistent team at the top. Like you've had UCLA up there, Arizona, Arizona State, USC, even Washington every couple of years will jump up there. But there's not anybody that's like super consistent. And that's, I didn't mention Oregon either, but it seems like every year that the top of the pack is changing. And I can definitely see tech sliding in there and just being a top team basketball wise in the Pac-12 every year so I I would actually welcome a move there the problem with going to the Pac is like Reed mentioned it's just geographically difficult for both the players and the fans Um, it's going to be difficult because if you got to go play at US uh, USC UCLA and Cal Bare minimum. I mean, I, I don't know how they would organize these divisions, but in a theoretical world, you're going to place at probably at least two of those schools. So you're going to the far west coast. You got to travel thousands of miles for basketball. You're going to do it once. You're probably going to do it every other year for football, and you're going to do it for baseball every other year and have to stay a weekend. Um, in this scenario, I mean, the football games alone are a nightmare. Nobody's watching football in the Pac-12. That the entire conference has slid closer to relevancy because nobody's watching these games in the rest of the country because they're so late at night. And that's not talking about the fact that now we're doing it for basketball on a Monday. I mean, you're talking about a big Monday game, like a huge game. You're very unlikely to see it just because of how far or how late it's going to be for everybody else to watch that game. Or, or you know, you got your Wednesday night midweek conference game and, uh, and basketball are like a, Friday night baseball game. These games aren't going to be finished till one, two in the morning local time. I mean, it's just, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. Um, I don't don't know if, if, if tech should want to go do that, but if you're asking me, is is that the most likely scenario and maybe the best we can hope for? I'm not sure if it's the best, but I do feel like there is reason to believe it's likely. Um, 
if I'm the Pac-12, that makes sense to me. Uh, the Pac-12 is going to do what the Pac-12 does. Brand new commissioner. We don't know if he's going to be any better than um, than the previous hilariously incompetent leadership. But I, if if I'm him and I'm making my first calls, you are eyeing schools like Tech, OSU. I mean that that's those. So that's kind of where you're looking first. Um, they offer you pretty strong footholds in some pretty key markets. Um, and schools like Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State, they're going to be getting looks from the Big Ten anyways. So it's very unlikely they were coming to the pack. I don't think the pack would would look at Baylor. Um, and the only other thing is I'm going to say to Jack's point about the national title, you got to remember UNLV has a national title and it's completely irrelevant in major sports. BYU has a national title and is an independent. You know, Notre Dame chooses to be independent. BYU, I don't think, does at this point. I mean, they've been trying to get somebody to take them. Um, you know, uh, uh, who else is another example? Coastal Carolina baseball has a national title. Um, what, what's the, uh, what is it, like Long Island or whatever, or not Long Island, um, wherever uh, Augie came from before Texas. They've got numerous baseball national titles. There's, uh, we got... What is it? Loyola Chicago's got a basketball national title. The national basketball national title or the national title concept being enough to save Baylor may have created in the sense that a modern basketball national title is much bigger deal than a lot of these titles from 20 years ago. But if you're asking me, is there a conference that wants on the front page of the paper that they're adding Baylor? You got to convince a lot of student bodies and a lot of presidents to overlook some really terrible stuff to take Baylor. Um, the school's How got much- a... Yeah, how much do you think – I'm just interested in your opinion. How much do you think the private school issue of it plays in all of this? And technically, these are two, you know, um, Christian institutions, and, and you know, the, the Pac-12 has been notably denying BYU for years because it's, uh, you know, has a, it's a religious university. It, it's tough to say. So there is reason to believe – that why BYU didn't join the Big 12, for instance, was also because of the fact that the Mormon honor honor pledge. I'm not 100% familiar with Baylor and TCU's honor codes, but I believe they have similar language. Um, That's tough to overcome. It is, and it's the world we live in. It's going to be really, really tough to sell. And I I, I don't mean this to sound like I I am uh, trying to get too political with the issue, but it is reality. The West Coast is a more liberal area of the country, and they're not going to be as comfortable with, you know, an honor code saying you can't have sex, you can't drink, you can't um, uh, if you're caught in a in a homosexual relationship, you're you're not necessarily you're going to have some problems with the school. Um, and in particular, Baylor doubles down on that by also having a basketball coach that tried to basically cover up murder and a problem with rape on campus. Um, though they, you can argue that they've tried to address the second one and the one, other ones in the past. Those don't ever leave your reputation. You know, at least TCU's not carrying that kind of baggage. But into the sense that it is going to be hard to convince, you know, the California schools to take on Christian universities with these honor codes. Yeah, it's true that it is. I don't, I don't think anybody should be offended by that fact that consider it part of the culture wars, consider it part of whatever you want. That was a problem when BYU tried to come into the big 12 and the big 12 is a conservative body as a whole. I mean, with the exception of Texas, you could argue that the big 12 probably leans politically conservative. 
Um, just because it's a Christian, it's got multiple Christian schools. L- uh, Lubbock is a, is a deep Republican stronghold. Uh, um, Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State, probably a little bit less so. West Virginia is a very strong Republican stronghold. So these are more conservative areas of the country, and we couldn't even get past that issue. Now, the other reason is because nobody could pick a second team that they all agreed on or three more teams that they all agreed on, but it definitely came up. You know, it was a problem to overcome. It'll be a thousand times harder when you look at schools who have historically already made it pretty clear that they're not interested in carrying that type of baggage. They don't want to sell it politically. Um, They also aren't things to the national uh, uh, arena. You know, Baylor basketball just won a national title. Baylor basketball is still not a national brand. You know, it'd be the same if Tech won a national title to a degree. Uh, 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 at least Tech has a pretty massive alumni base. Baylor doesn't necessarily have the world's biggest alumni base. You know, it's a smaller enrollment school. Uh, it's not a big state school. It no longer has the same level of support it does in the legislature. So there's a lot of reasons why I think Baylor's the most likely to get shafted by all this. TCU's right there, though. I mean, they're right there for having issues. Um, and that's not necessarily, I'm going to say, fair because I think Baylor is at least attempting to move past its past. And the fact that you're a Christian institution is what it is. You know, that's who you are. And that it, it but it is going to come up. It'll be addressed. I guarantee you they're going to, they're going to, when this, if this is all what's happening, there's going to be a USA Today opinion piece in their sports page talking about why the Pac 12 can't let Baylor in. So we're going to move on to basketball just because we can talk about realignment forever and come to, the same realization that it's the worst subject on the planet and the most annoying, but we're going to go to basketball. So I'm going to go to Kendall first. Kendall, you saw all the transfers across the nation. We've seen it's been a ridiculous number of guys in the portal. Tech had as steep a job as any to rebuild um, the roster. You know, we, the, it was a basically a total teardown start over job with the exception of a few players. And even then, you still had to sell guys like Terrence Shannon and Kevin McCullough to come back when the staff was first being hired. All things considered, all things considered, what grade would you give the job Mark Adams inaugural recruiting class? I'm going to refer to it as a class, so I know technically that's not what it is. What grade would you give him for the effort he's put in this offseason? Well... I'm going to be honest. I It's hard not to give him an A+. Because think about the situation he was put into. Chris Beard leaves, and it seems so just like out of nowhere almost. And then we're sitting here as a program. Players are announcing they're transferring. We're just wondering where we're going to go. And then Coach Adams comes in. and But still, we're having players like Micah Peavy, Kyler Edwards, and those guys – leaving the program so we still don't know where we're at and where we're going to get continuity from and then we start to get more transfers in we start to get more players saying they're staying too like Chabuzo Agbo and Marcus Santos Silva and Clarence Nadolny but it started out pretty slow because we were just getting we got the commitment from Chandler Jacobs which obviously didn't last but we also got the commitments from KJ Allen and Adonis Arms but then as the offseason has progressed, we started to get some bigger names, and most recently Kevin O'Banner, which after what he did in the March Madness last year, I don't know how anyone can look at him as any less than a top three transfer for this season. And 
really, Mark Adams has won recruiting battles over the likes of Coach Must down at Arkansas. And really, he's – I my expectations were relatively low for his first season, but now going into the season, it's hard not to be ecstatic when you look at what he's done. Well, what I'll, I'll say from my perspective is is I think that he had as difficult a job as anybody in the country. Um, there are programs in worse shape than Tech's, but there are not many that the entire prestige of the program was wrapped up in effectively one coach. Uh, Chris Beard was the only reason anybody nationally, and this is something Tech fans are learning the hard way, when they interact with national media. The only reason anybody thought Tech was good the last couple of years was because of what Chris Beard did. We're going to find out if there's truth to that in like 100 days. But that meant that Mark Adams had to sell every person he talked to, both current recruits uh, or both current players he's trying to convince to come back and guys he's trying to bring in, that the story doesn't have to stop because Chris Beard left. And to do it as well as he did... I think is a testament to how much players connect with him. I mean, me and Kendall talked to Adonis and it was very apparent that Mark Adams connects very well to the guys he's recruiting. Um, so I don't think we have to be afraid of recruiting. Um, you know, he, if this experiment doesn't work, you know, Mark Adams can't execute as a head coach and this all comes for not. I think that what still should be taken away is that a Herculean effort was made to build this first team. And while there are no guarantees in basketball, he put together a roster that has no business being as competitive as it's going to be. You know, there's no reason Tech should have been able to get this kind of roster built this quickly. Um, I don't know if you're going to be in the top three of the Big 12 or not, but you're going to be right up there in the conversation. And that was something I don't think was one of the more likely ways this was going to play out. But he, he managed to do it. You know, Reed, now that we're, we, we've got our full roster, essentially, I think Tech might be in the market for a guard. I don't really understand. I thought our roster spots were full, but I don't think the staff is quite done recruiting yet. Um, Reed, when you're looking at the upcoming basketball season, we're, we're, we're way out. But, you know, if you're, if you're looking at who the Big 12 brought back and who we're bringing with us, you know, where, where do you think – Tech falls in the hierarchy just on paper. You know, I, I got to think you, you like your chances with uh, with a lot of matchups you have in the conference. Uh, obviously, our, our front court's pretty loaded right now. We've got, I would say, at least two deep at the four and five position. You know, that's something we have not had in quite a few years where you got four guys that could all start in the same spot, really. Um, they all give you something different. Uh, the guards are going to be uh, different for sure. You know, I'm not used to seeing uh, McCuller in that at a at a point guard spot. I know that's what he originally came in to be, but it's not used to seeing him be the guy that that runs your offense basically. Um, and I know that um, that Mark Adams is going to get rid of, of the motion offense. I think that was the main thing that him and Beard that just never agreed on. Uh, across the board, I think uh, that's going to help, you know, change the dynamic of the team, make the make the rest of the conference realize that we're not going to be the same team we've been the last five years that Beard was here. Um, kind of going off of what 
what Michael said, really, we get whether we want to give him credit or not, Beard really made tech relevant in basketball. You know, whether he's here or not, he I think he helped us get the recruits that we got. Um, he helped us build a brand in a sport that we never had a brand in. Um, even though he left, I think uh, Adams did a great job um, kind of rebuilding. I don't even want to say rebuild, really. He just kind of coattailed off what Beard had done and and, and has improved our roster uh, exponentially since he left. Um, you know, I was worried right when he left that we were going to be in the bottom three of the conference really for, you know, the next handful of years. And um, he's made me realize I don't think that's going to be the case for a while. Um, and I kind of mentioned this in my article that I wrote earlier this week for Viva, but I kind of worded it like, so there's no doubt that Chris Beard is the best thing that happened to this basketball program up to this point. But I think Mark Adams has done enough to show that he plans on competing year in and year out in the Big 12. And Baylor, Kansas, and Texas this upcoming year are going to have – they have phenomenal rosters up and down the board. But I think what Tech is bringing – and I'll probably catch a lot of heat from this, but – so I can't – I don't know how this roster is going to mesh. But looking at it just top to bottom – it has got to be one of the more talented rosters and comparable to some the pure talent that Beard had on some of his rosters that, you know, if you go from the first starting spot all the way down to the last spot on the bench, you know, I just don't see very many weaknesses because it seems like you could go to that last spot. And I mean, that could be Ethan Duncan, but shoot, we don't know what we're going to get out of him, but it just seems like a group that you could just call on anyone and they can go get you some points. Cause I mean, how many of these guys came in averaging double figures from wherever their last spot was. And there's one guy on the roster that's not being talked about enough. And he was one of the top scorers in the nation last year. And that's Davion Warren from Hampton. I mean, I'm looking at him and thinking that he could be running the offense if we really need him to just based off of a lot of his film and stuff. So I think that this team is going to be loaded going into this next season. And I think we're definitely going to compete for a top three spot. It all just depends on how the roster really meshes. Um, As much as I'd like to keep talking about basketball, we need to pivot to football in order to just get everything in. Uh, So the question with football is how are we going to structure this? And I think the easiest way is to first and foremost, take a look at, at the, at the two units individually and, and, Talk about where we think they're going to end up, what we think they're going to look like against the rest of the conference, and you know, give a little bit of color on on where they are right now as we rapidly approach the start of the season. So we're going to start with the offense, and I think I'll, I'll go to Jack first with this one. Jack, you look at the offense, new quarterback, relatively young receiver staff. If you're Sonny Cumbie, you know, how, who can you count on right now to step in and be ready to go day one to help you rebuild Tech's image as an offensive program? Well, I think you have a solid core of guys. You really do. Uh, I I really do like uh, that Tyler Shuck is, uh, you know, looking at being the face of this program as a quarterback. Um, I, the more I read about the kid, the more I like him a lot. 
Um, you have uh, Ezukama on the outside, who's uh, one of the best receivers Tex had in years. Um, you have a running back in Sir Roderick Thompson, who just today was named as a Doak Walker Award uh, watch list guy. And the thing that I think a lot of people should look at on both sides of the ball, really, for this Tech team, uh, you know, maybe except the defensive back area. Uh, there's a lot of there's there's some good solid depth in some of these uh, areas. You know, you have Sir Roderick Thompson, and then you know after I mean you have people like Xavier White, Ezukama kind of will, will he'll obviously be the uh, number one guy at wideout. But I mean, you have, you have other people there that have some experience. I mean, even if it's not with Texas tech, you have people, uh, you know, transferring in like a uh, Geiger from Troy, you know, you have, you have miles price. You have a uh, Fungi from Midland Lee, uh, who's there last year, who made that great catch against uh, Oklahoma state, you know, and it's just like, you have, you have just a little bit of depth and, for me, that's what the difference in this tech football team is this year is in the past, you know, you've had depth, but the depth that you had was really untested. It didn't have a lot of, uh, you know, experience hardly at all, hardly any in game experience, but now this depth that you're seeing at some of these positions, they have game experience. People like, you know, miles price and Fungi, who were both freshmen and put in solid game time last year you know uh i mean xavier white was a huge contributor last year you know uh it's just it's just stuff like that that you're seeing a lot more of uh this year which i like and uh and i can't remember who said it but i believe it might have been matt wells at big 12 media days he said this is the deepest the quarterback room has ever been at tech and, you know, there was a lot of deep quarterback rooms when Leach was here. But I think that if you have a lot of these guys that are in here that are around the same talent level, it can only push these guys to do better to win that starting job. And, you know, I do think Shuck will win it. And I do think that he will be the starting quarterback come that first game against Houston at NRG. But... You know, all these other guys, you know, McIver, Columbia, uh, Donovan Smith, all these guys, I I mean, you can't help but think that they're going to push uh, Tyler Shuck to be the best quarterback that he can be. And that's what I like about the depth of this team, especially on offense. That's all the time we actually have. Um, I would like to go to everybody else on their football opinions, but we're also having some technical difficulties. So I'm going to close this out. This has been a great episode. Realignment's an important topic. Um, there's going to be a lot more on this in the coming days, but just keep your eyes peeled and we'll see what happens. Wreck them and thanks for listening. For me,